Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We'd like to welcome you, whether you're here in the sanctuary or if you're watching online. If you are watching online, we'd like to just uh, invite you to reach out to our online host. That's what they're there for. My name is Kyle. Um, I'm the worship director here at Springbrook, and if I haven't met you, I apologize, but I hope that this week I can get to know you a little bit. I just welcome all of you just to stand as we go into a time of worship. under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. Jesus, from age 
forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever. I believe in the virgin birth, 
I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13 say, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved.
deserving than you. Father God, just bless this time. Thank you for being in this room during worship, Father, letting your spirit flow. Just prepare our hearts for the message, Father God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us today. I have been watching online for the last two weeks, which is a unique experience. It's uh, fun to watch and be able to connect with people online. If you're online this morning, we're glad you're with you, uh, with us. Be sure and say hi in the chat. Uh, there's a place for you to uh, click that online connection card uh, if you're here with us in person. Uh, please take a moment to fill out that online or that connection card that's in your seat, and uh, just let us know you were here. And then if you just want to text the word here to uh, Springbrook, uh, you can do that as well. But we're so glad that you are uh, with us today. Hey, we're going to be hosting a starting point workshop in two weeks. It's Wednesday, uh, August 16th. Uh, It's a two-week workshop on Wednesday evenings. It's a great opportunity for you to hear a little bit more about our vision, our mission, our values. Uh, If you're interested in membership, that's something that we offer. But uh, you don't have to become a member. But it's really just great just to hear about some of the great things uh, God's doing here in and through our ministry. It gives us an opportunity to to get to know you a little bit. So if you're interested in joining us for Starting Point, uh, you can sign up for that on our website. Uh, you can text that to Connect to Springbrook, or uh, you can find that on our app as well. So, But we'd love the opportunity to uh, connect with you on that. Our leaders are going to be getting together uh, in just a couple of weeks on August 13th. It's uh, right after the second service. 
Uh, we'll be meeting in the uh, gym. Uh, we'll have lunch. we have child care. If you're a leader at Springbrook, uh, we want to encourage you to please uh, register or sign up for that. I know many of you have already done that, so uh, thank you for doing that. We'll send an email reminder out next week. Uh, but we're going to be talking about some exciting things uh, coming up as we head towards fall. We have a prayer first weekend we're going to be talking a little bit about. Um, we have a sermon alignment series that we're going to be talking through, and so you'll want to make sure to uh, make sure you sign up for that if you're a leader. If you are in a small group, or if you're interested in leadership, or if you want to help us help others get connected to a small group as we move into the fall, uh, you can sign up for that leadership gathering as well. We'll have some training for new and existing small group leaders, as well as answer any questions that you have about small group leadership. So we'd love to talk with you a little bit more about that. We have our Grief Share uh, ministry is going to be kicking off uh, on August 10th. And so Vicki Smith has got, I think it's probably six people already signed up for Grief Share. And so uh, we had 25 people go through Grief Share in our last session. I don't think everybody had an opportunity to complete it. And so if you were in Grief Share and did not have an opportunity to complete it, or if you just need to go through it again, or if you've lost a friend or family member or somebody close to you and you need some help just kind of processing uh, through that grief, uh, Grief Share is a great place uh, to be able to do that. They're going to be meeting here at Springbrook. All the information you need is on our website, our app, or you can text uh, Grief Share to uh, Springbrook as well. But we'd love the opportunity to talk with you and help you support you uh, through this uh, time of need if you've got that. And then also wanted to let you know we have uh, a lot of different uh, serving opportunities. It's been great. I hope everybody got some rest uh, over the summer. I know, uh, I think school's starting in two or three weeks, and it's a record. I think all the school districts are starting at the same time, and so I know we're moving towards fall. Uh, we've had a few families that have moved. I got an email from Steve Simons, who's been playing our piano for the for many years. I just took a new job. They're moving uh, to, with Boeing, I think, down to Indiana. So we've had a couple of families that have moved. Uh, we have uh, many opportunities uh, for people to serve. So if you're interested in helping us reach our children for Christ, or if you want to help be a part of our small group network, or if you want to help be a part of our facilities team, I just want to encourage you as we move towards the fall, we are praying specifically for many uh, opportunities for uh, people to serve in our ministry. And so if we can answer any questions for you, if you just want to try something, if you don't like it, try something else. Uh, We have many first serve opportunities, but uh, for a complete list of those, uh, you can go to our website or our app as well. And then also I wanted to let you know on uh, August 19th and 20th, uh, we're going to have a prayer first weekend. I realize that that is, I think, the weekend that school's going to be starting up that next week. And so we're going to have a couple of different workshops. One of the workshops is going to be praying for your kids, praying for and with your kids and your grandkids. And so we'll have a couple of different workshops, uh, prayer evangelism. So we've got some workshops. We have some things specifically di- uh, designed for leaders. Uh, we're going to have a guest speaker. Uh, Brian Moak is our VP of Church Strengthening for Converge is going to be up teaching for us. So we've got some great things planned that weekend. And so if you want more information about that, um, you can go to our website. It's on our app as well. Uh, but we are so glad that we are, that we are able to come together uh, to just lift up the value of prayer at Springbrook. And so if you've got any questions, please let us know. We're so glad that you are with us today. Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment. I hope you're having a great summer. Uh, God bless you, and it's good to see you. When you're expecting something to happen in just a little while, it's hard to know what you should do with your time. 
you know, like when you're expecting maybe a, a visitor or a guest to your home and uh, uh, you know that they're going to be arriving in like 25 minutes. And you think to yourself, well, I, I, I could run the vacuum over the area rug one more time. I could do something. I, I could put on a pot of coffee so that I've got something to serve them when they get there. But uh, I don't know. What should I do with the time? I don't really have enough time to start something new. And so you kind of go through this process of trying to figure out how then should I use the time that I have. Or if you're getting ready to go on a trip, maybe your bags are already packed, and you know you've got to leave in, in just a little while. And you think to yourself, well, I could get a few things done, or I could just sit and watch the clock, or I could sit down and swipe through social media, scroll through, and just let the time pass by. How should I use the time when I feel like there's only a short amount of time remaining? Well, whether or not we're waiting for a guest, whether or not we are preparing for a trip, whether we find ourselves in a situation where we have an appointment or a meeting coming up in just a few minutes, and we're trying to decide how do we use that time, we find ourselves constantly in situations where we are trying to discern the best use of the moments that we have. As we've been studying together in recent weeks through this series in the New Testament epistle of Second Peter that we're calling Grow in Grace, we have been seeing how the Apostle Peter, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is reminding us of the fact that if you are in Christ, that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And in the last couple of weeks, he's been pointing to the fact, he's been reminding us of the certainty of the promise of Christ's soon and coming return. And so there is a sense in which while we find ourselves in those moments, maybe between meetings, between activities, and we're asking, how should I use this time? But for those of us who are followers of Christ, who are awaiting His coming, though we do not know the day or the hour, we might well ask, how should we live now since Christ is coming again? And that's a big concern that Peter had as he concludes his letter, written nearly 2,000 years ago, but still so vitally important to our lives today. How should we be living now since Christ is coming soon? If you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, I want to invite you to join me as this morning we pick up from where we left off last week, and we're going to be wrapping up this letter of Second Peter this morning. As we read from Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. For context here, uh, Jesus, uh, 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 Peter has just mentioned the fact that Jesus is indeed coming again, and at the return of the Lord, there will, he will come in both judgment and in salvation. And then he writes, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, and so he's talking about the created things, everything that is created, the heavens and the earth. He's just been talking about since all these things are thus to be dissolved, 
What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We'll stop there for a moment and consider what it is that He is instructing us about. He's reminding us or He's pointing us to the fact that Jesus is coming again in judgment and in promise. So, we are to live holy and godly lives. So, he, He starts this portion with this idea, since all of these things are about to take place, since all of these things are coming, since this is sure, how should we live? And he tells us, in holiness and in godliness. That is, that we are to live holy and godly lives now as we wait for the coming of Christ. Uh, To live uh, um, holy and godly lives, we need to understand is only possible through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not an instruction to clean yourself up. It it is not something that we can do in our own effort. It's not something that we do in our own willpower. Now, we talked about this idea of godliness a few weeks ago because in 2 Peter chapter 1, we were told that in Christ we have everything that we need for life and godliness. We talked about the fact that godliness is the opposite of worldliness. If worldliness is allowing the values and the priorities and uh, the patterns of this world to be our pursuit, to be the thing that we're chasing after, then godliness is, in a sense, to reflect the character of God, the values and the agenda and the priorities of heaven are what we are pursuing. So we see that as we wait for Christ's return, we are, in a sense, to pursue or to live holy and godly lives, but that's only possible through faith in Christ. If if we are to be godly, then we must know the God who we are reflecting. Now, it's true that if today you're a follower of Christ Jesus, in that moment in which you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I were declared holy and righteous in His sight. That is because of what Christ did in His death on the cross to pay for our sins uh, through His burial and His glorious resurrection from the dead, we now have been dressed, we have been clothed with the righteousness, with the holiness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an imputed righteousness. That is, it is not ours, but we now possess the righteousness of Christ. But it's also true that while, while those of us who are followers of Christ are declared to be holy and blameless in the sight of God, the Holy Spirit who dwells in every believer is also actively at work to conform us in increasing measure to the likeness of Christ. That is, He is shaping and molding and forming and cutting off uh, uh, um, pieces and, 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 and molding us to that likeness of Christ. 
It's what we call the work of sanctification. And we see through the pages of the New Testament that we will not be fully conformed to the likeness of Christ until that day in which we stand complete in Him, in His presence. But we also have the wonderful promise of the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6, that He who began this good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What God starts, He always completes. So, while we are declared holy and righteous in His sight, while the Spirit of God is doing His work in us to conform us to the likeness of Christ, there is also a sense here, and Peter draws it out all through this letter that we've looked at, in which we are to actively pursue growth in holiness and godliness. Again, we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1 of this letter that not only do we have everything that we need through Christ for life and godliness, that is, uh, that He has enabled, He has provided us all that we need to, to live for His glory in every moment. But then Peter in that first chapter told us, therefore, make every effort to supplement your faith with, and then he gave us a list of qualities he refers to them as being, areas in which we are pursuing a greater depth of godliness. So, he tells us here in this passage in chapter 3 that we've just heard read, that we are to live holy, ungodly lives as we await the return of Christ. But it's interesting because he also says here, as we are waiting as we are waiting for and hastening the day of God, the coming of the day of God. And so there is a sense in which we are to be engaged in pursuing godliness and holiness as we wait. But Peter specifically says that followers of Christ, those who are in Him, we are in a sense to be hastening the day of His return. Now that seems strange to many of us. How do we hasten the coming, the return of Jesus? On the one hand, Scripture tells us that His coming is imminent. That is, it could happen at any moment. We see this through the pages of Scripture. For example, in James chapter 5, we read, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so in James, uh, we find this idea of the fact that that He is certainly coming. We must be patient as we await His return, but His, His return is imminent. Be ready. He is standing at the door. Likewise, 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says there, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. It's near. It, it, it's about to happen. 
Or in 1 John 2, 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. The time is short. It is at hand. And so all through the scriptures, we see this idea of the fact that the return of Christ is sure and certain, and it could happen at any moment. And yet Peter here, in our passage this morning, is telling us that there is a sense in which we are to be about waiting for, as well as hastening It's coming. We're also told in the New Testament that his coming will be like a thief in the night. We saw that last week in chapter 3, verse 9. It will be unexpected. It will be at a time that is surprising, but also a time that is unknown to us. Furthermore, the return of Christ is going to be at a time and in a way that our sovereign God has determined according to his own plan, and pleasure. Uh, That is, He is not a God who responds to us in terms of, well, I'm going to wait and see what they do, and then I'll make up my mind. But rather, He is the unchangeable God. He is sovereign in all His ways. He does not need a counselor to advise Him. He will unfold all of history according to his sovereign decree and plan. And yet, with that in mind, the New Testament does tell us that if you're in Christ, there are three ways in which we can be engaged, in a sense, as we wait towards the goal of hastening the return of Christ. Don't ask me exactly how this works, how the sovereignty of God and our act of of, of seeking to hasten His return works. God knows all things, and I don't. But the New Testament tells us, first of all, we can hasten Christ's coming, first of all, by praying for it. Some of us grew up week in, week out, uh, reciting what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that He taught the disciples to pray. We read it in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Well, that's, that, that's asking, that's praying, God, may Your kingdom come. So there's a sense in which the New Testament tells us that we can be praying for it. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, the Apostle Paul uses this word Maranatha. And many throughout the history of the church have cried out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what it means. Come Lord Jesus. It is a cry that we find on the lips of the Apostle Paul. It is a cry that we find on the lips of the saints throughout the ages. And again, Revelation twenty-two twenty, 20, uh, the next to last verse in all of the Bible declares, come, Lord Jesus. So there is a sense in which we are to be crying out to God, come, come quickly, O Lord. May your kingdom come. We hasten Christ's coming also by, uh, through our preaching. That is through the spreading of the gospel. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so here, there is a sense of, we don't know when that happened. 
But there is a sense in which the instruction here is go and be about the work that I have given to you to do. How do we hasten the return of Christ? By being about the commission that he has given to us to proclaim Christ to all people everywhere. And then we hasten his coming as people repent of their sins. And again, we see this in Acts chapter 3. Here, this is actually the apostle Peter preaching. And he says, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Notice here, we do this that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And so there is a sense in which as people respond to the gospel in repentance, there is a a hastening of that day. Peter's helping us to understand here that we are to live now in light of the coming of judgment and promise. Notice, he says, that we are to wait for and hasten the day of his coming because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So what he's helping us here to see is that since judgment is coming and it is sure, since God is going to in that day wrap up all of human history, and as we talked about last week, there is a destructive nature to this judgment. The heavens are going to burn and pass away. The earth is going to dissolve like snow. Since that is happening, since the judgment of the Lord is coming, he's saying, therefore, we should be ready. We should live in light of it. We want to be found ready in that day that we will stand before the presence of Christ. Now, again, that's a sobering thought. It's it's something we don't like to give a whole lot of attention to because it is a, a fearful thing. But friends, if you are in Christ, we do not need to fear. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We want to be able to stand unashamed in his presence, having done that which he has called us to do. It's certainly true that if today, You've never yet trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never recognized your need to have your sins forgiven and acknowledge the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, that God demonstrates his love for you in that very act, that while you were yet his enemy, while you were going your own way in rebellion against God, he sent his son to die and to pay the debt of your sin, I would plead with you today, receive that free gift of life and of forgiveness and of salvation. 
that you might know the joy of having your sins forgiven, that you might know the, the, the incredible life that Christ has for you as you follow it, it, Him, as, as you live the life that you were created and designed to have in relationship with Him, but also that you might know that when that day of judgment that is coming, when it arrives, that you will have no need to fear. We can have that kind of confidence if we just cry out to God, saying, God, forgive me for my sins. I believe in your Son. In fact, that song that we sang just a few minutes ago, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. We are to live now in such a way that we would not be ashamed, that we would be found ready on that day of judgment. We don't want to be in that situation like where you're called out, and maybe you experienced this back years ago when you were in school and you, had, you were called on to give a presentation in class and you hadn't prepared anything. And so you kind of went up to the front and like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And you stood there embarrassed and ashamed on that day because you had not prepared. Peter is saying, in light of the certainty of the coming judgment, we are to to live in such a way as to be found ready. But more than that, he points to the fact that, that, that when Christ comes, it will be both in judgment and in promise. And that's why in verse 13 of our passage, he says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the point that he's making is that we are to pursue holiness and godliness so that, first of all, we would be found ready on that day of judgment. But that secondly, as we look forward to the promise of eternity with Him, after God has destroyed the the current heaven and the earth and, and, and He has brought about the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells forever, that there is a sense in which we would be fitted for glory that we would be ready for it, that we would be prepared, that we would have been working diligently to be dressed in holiness and godliness, that we might be suited for our coming abode with Him. But while this is a little complex, his argument here. He really wants to get to the nuts and bolts of things. And so we might ask, what exactly does it look like for us to live holy and and godly lives as we wait? And that's precisely where he goes in our passage next as he continues in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. 
And so what Peter is helping us to understand is that we are to actively pursue godliness and continue to grow in Christ until he comes. He states here that we are to be diligent to be found by him, that is, at his return, without spot or blemish and at peace. Uh, The first thing to note there is the fact that he uses this idea of being diligent. Diligence is a continuous and unending pursuit of a desired goal without distraction or slackening. Uh, That is, it is something that we give our whole effort to, our whole strength to. We push forward to it continuously. And he says, therefore, be diligent to be found by him at his return without spot or blemish. And so our goal, again, is to be found ready at the return of Christ. In in a number of the parables that Jesus told his disciples, he talks about this idea of being ready, of being prepared, of being found about the master's business at the time in which he returns. And again, he explains here that we should be found by him without spot or blemish. And and that imagery there is actually one that comes from the Old Testament when they were to take the sacrificial lamb that they were to offer on the altar uh, as a gift before God. They were to make sure that they chose an animal that was without spot or blemish, without fault or defect. And it's synonymous here with this idea of holy and godly in his sight. Holy and godly in his sight. Now, we've already talked about the fact that does not mean that any of us will ever reach perfection in this until that day that we stand complete in Christ. But Peter's uh, language, his idea here is that we are to continue to push forward toward this goal. And it's interesting, he uses this image here of being without spot or blemish, because a couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter 2 of this letter, Peter was warning us against some false teachers. He was saying, be on guard against them. And one of the ways in which he described them was to say they are blots and blemishes as they revel in their sin and deception. That's chapter 2, verse 13. And so, Peter is contrasting the way that those of us who are in Christ should be seeking to live with those who are apart from him and who are deceptive, who profess one thing with their mouth but live a different way through their lives. And so, he warns us, he instructs us, he challenges us, be diligent, therefore. And then he tells us, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Now, again, if you were here last week, we talked about this from chapter 3, verse 9, where Peter was explaining, uh, God is not slow in fulfilling his promises. Some people count slowness. No, he's actively engaged in working all of history toward this goal of the return of Christ and the consummation of our salvation. But what may seem to us like a delay is actually an 
evidence of the compassion and the mercy and the kindness of God because He is leaving room for us to be right with Him. He is leaving room for repentance. He is giving us today to turn to Him in salvation. And so, Peter reminds us of what he talked about. He reminds us so that we would understand that now is the day of salvation. Don't delay. Don't make excuses. Don't wait. The fact that we have this moment before the return of Christ is that we might turn to him in repentance and find forgiveness and life and salvation through Christ. But then he goes on to say something that's kind of curious. He actually starts to refer to the Apostle Paul in some of Paul's letters, and apparently there seemed to be a problem in the context in which Peter was ministering as he's writing this letter. It seems that there were some who were using Paul's letters as an excuse for their sin. You see, one of the things that we find in the epistles of the Apostle Paul is that Paul frequently talks about the freedom that we have now that we're in Christ. We are free from the law. We are no longer under its mastery. We are no longer slaves to sin. And some were saying, ah, see, since we're free from that, we can live however we want. And this, this problem is still uh, everywhere in our culture today, and sadly, in too much of the church. It's this idea of, oh, yeah, well, I'm forgiven, so God doesn't care how I live. It's this idea of claiming the the promises of God, claiming the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but without any investment in the life of holiness, without any pursuit of godliness, without any idea of this sanctification, of this growth in obedience. And Peter's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what Paul talks about. Yes, he talks about our freedom in Christ, but he talks about precisely the same things as I'm talking about. Notice he says here, uh, we are to count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And so Peter is specifically talking about these matters, the coming of the return of Christ, the need to be ready, the patience of God giving room for repentance, and the need for us to continue to grow in holiness. We have to understand something vitally important and sadly oft forgotten or neglected in much of the evangelical church today. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not simply about a confession of your mouth. It is about a continuing and growing obedience to the things of Christ. If there is no pursuit of godliness, there is no genuine salvation. Those who were in Christ will will chase after the things of Christ. And if you have no desire for holiness, if you have no grief over sin, then we should soberly examine our standing before God. You will know a tree by its fruit. We've talked about that in recent weeks. 
Peter in chapter 1 said, we must make every effort because if we forget these things, then we are, we, we are unfruitful, we are blind, we have forgotten what Christ has done, and we are unfruitful, we are unproductive. The apostle Paul warns when he writes that we should test ourselves to see if we were in, are in the faith. Godliness, the pursuit of holiness, is essential to the Christian life. It is not simply a doctrinal profession, but it is a life that is lived in pursuit of our Lord as we are conformed by the Spirit of God more and more to His image and likeness. And Peter says a few different things that are important with regard to Paul. First of all, he refers to him as our beloved brother. Peter and Paul are not at odds with one another. They are together in, in, in the gospel. Peter was apparently familiar with at least some of Paul's letters because he's referring to them here. And what he's doing is he states that the apostolic teaching is consistent, that, that we don't have one uh, apostle over here preaching one thing and another one preaching something different over here, and this idea of two different doctrines or two different ways of faith. What he also shows us is that these matters that seem to relate to the pursuit of godliness are essential as we wait for Christ. Peter talks about them as we've seen. Paul talks about them. For example, in Romans 2.4, he says, Or do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's that same idea. God is leaving room for us to get right with him. And likewise, in Romans 13, this idea of since Christ is coming again, we must pursue holiness. Besides this, you know the time, Romans 13 says, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. In other words, stop making excuses. Stop being lazy. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so again, in light of His coming, our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And now it's still nearer. And now it's nearer still. There's a sense of urgency as we diligently follow these things. What's more, as Peter is referring here to Paul, Peter is admitting a couple of things that I find helpful. First of all, he says, there are some things in Paul's writings that are kind of difficult to understand. Have you ever found yourself reading Scripture and it's like, oh, I kind of get it, but that's sort of a little bit confusing? Well, we're in good company because that's how the Apostle Peter felt. But I always have to chuckle when I read this because um, if you study First and Second Peter, you'll discover that there are some things in Peter's writing that are kind of difficult to understand. So I always want to say, uh, yeah, Peter, have you, have you read your own stuff to make that kind of comment? He says, because of that, there are some people who twist Paul's words, as we talked about, as they do the other scriptures. 
That's interesting because what we have here is the Apostle Peter stating that the epistles of the Apostle Paul are Scripture, that they are the divinely inspired Word of God. He says, be on guard because there are all sorts of people who take Scripture and try to twist it to their own end, to their own destruction. We want to be careful that we are reading the Word of God, that we are studying it, that we are looking at its context, that we are understanding the plain meaning of the text, and that we are not looking for get-out-of-jail clauses. So he warns here. And then we see that we, verse 17, have a response that we are to make as we are pursuing diligently godliness and holiness. That first of all, there's something that we have to be on guard against, and secondly, there's something that we need to be deliberate in our pursuit of. He says in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, Peter here doesn't seem to be saying, I'm worried about you, that you are going to somehow fall away. But rather what he seems to be doing is saying that, that those who persevere, those who are truly in Christ, who persevere in their faith, have this hallmark, and that is that they are always on guard against the deceptive things that seek to find their way in and creep in. He says, be careful so that you can stand stable and firm and confident and fully assured in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, if that's something that we need to guard against, then something that we actively need to pursue, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we might well ask the question, okay, if we are to diligently pursue holiness and godliness, if we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, how, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, if we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we, we must continually remind ourselves of the gospel by which we have received grace. This whole letter has pointed to this. Chapter 1, over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And what's he pointing to? The grace that is ours because of Christ. We must continually remind ourselves of the gospel by which we have received grace. The way that we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is to keep it always in our heart and our mind, in our thinking, in our praise. And so we must daily walk in grace. What does it mean to walk in grace? It's about living out our new identity in Christ. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not who we once were. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. So what does that mean? That means, first of all, that if you're in Christ, 
that you are no longer a sinner by default. You are now holy and righteous in Christ. Yes, we continue to wage war and battle against sin and struggle against temptation, but we have a new identity. We, are now, we now belong to Christ. We are no longer slaves of sin. You are beloved. You are holy. You are blameless in His sight. You are a new creation. You have the Spirit of God in you. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. So in every moment, in every situation, in every circumstance we find ourselves in, we are not without provision, but rather the Spirit of God is at work to enable us. We need to walk in this newness of life. How do we grow in grace? By reminding ourselves of its truth every moment, each step. We grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We must keep falling upon His grace in confession and in worship. When we do sin, when we do stumble over that rock of of temptation, uh, we get up again and we confess our sins. And as 1 John tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We don't have to walk in the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of that anymore. And we turn to Him in worship. Praise be to Him who has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. We grow as we praise Him, as we declare again and again and again, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, so I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. We go back again and again and again. And each time we do, we grow a little bit more. We remind ourselves a little bit further. We go higher up and deeper in to His grace and the knowledge of Him. We must continue to grow in our knowledge of Christ through reading and the study of His Word. That's how we know who He is and what He's done. Friends, uh, we must get into the Word. A a, a follower of Christ, someone who professes to be in Christ and never cracks open the Bible, is hamstringing themselves in the Christian life. We need to get into His Word so that we would know Him. Maybe for some of us it just feels so overwhelming to know how to begin to do that. Maybe just just carve out time at the beginning of the day, even if it's just five minutes, ten minutes. Read a few verses. Read a chapter. If you don't know where to begin, uh, we have a a, a Bible reading plan. If you go on the, the Springbrook app, you can find our Bible reading plan and just jump in. It doesn't matter that others are, are, are maybe halfway through the plan. That doesn't matter. Jump in where you are and get into the Word. And then we grow in grace and knowledge through the practice of the spiritual disciplines in which we grow in intimacy with Him. When we use this phrase, the spiritual disciplines, we're really talking about these kind of habits that help us grow in holiness. And certainly, uh, uh, reading and studying the Bible, God's Word, is one of those disciplines. Getting before God in prayer is another. And Pastor Rich mentioned we've got this prayer first weekend coming up. If, if, if you feel like you're like a preschooler when it comes to prayer, 
Come out to that prayer first weekend. I, I know that it may seem really weird to, to set apart that much time over the course of a weekend to go to some workshops and that, but, but, but uh, Brian Moak, as he comes in, he's going to walk us through how to, uh, how to, in a fresh way, uh, understanding how to, to approach God in prayer, how to pray for our kids, how to pray for, in our marriages, how to pray for our church and our nation. And it's going to be almost like a primer to, to learn that discipline. We want to be engaged in that, and there's other disciplines as well that in some of our workshops we touch upon. We'll learn more about those opportunities and some of the, uh, uh, the ministries here at the church, if you go along to the starting point seminar that's coming up as well. And then how do we grow? Through in- increasingly consistent obedience. We grow in holiness. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through our in- increasingly consistent obedience in which we grow in trust and experience a greater fellowship with Christ. You see, as we step out in faith, as scary as it may be, saying, Lord, uh, I don't know, but but you said this, and I'm going to do it. When we take that step of obedience in various areas of our life, each time we do that, we discover that we take that step, and it brings joy, and it brings peace, and it brings blessing and delight that God is trustworthy and that His ways work. And as we experience that, we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that it becomes easy in every area of obedience. But the more we learn to trust Him, the more we grow in His grace and knowledge. The more we take those steps of obedience, the more delightful we find them to be as we discover that He is indeed utterly faithful and reliable. And so let's wrap this up. Let me ask, if we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we are to diligently pursue holiness and godliness as we wait for His soon and coming return, what does that look like for you? What is your plan for diligent, active, intentional growth in godliness? touched on this. But do you have a plan for practicing the disciplines? What's your plan for meeting with God in prayer and the study of His Word? What's your plan for maybe fasting periodically? What's your plan for fellowship in the community of believers? What's your plan for mortifying, that is to put to death our sin? Is, is confession a regular part of your time with God as you acknowledge your sin, as you cry out to Him, as the words of Psalm 139 do, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. And we asking God, would you root out in me those areas of sin that I might deal with them in the grace and the strength and the power that you give? What's your plan for replacing our own pursuits with the pursuits and priorities and the purposes of Christ? It's what it is to grow in godliness. If it's a conformity to His image and likeness, then how do we, what's our plan to daily lay down our stuff and daily take up His? What's your plan to stir one another up and spur one another on to godliness? It's an important factor in the New Testament. 
We are not to grow in holiness and godliness on our own in isolation, but with others. That's why it's so important that you're a part of a small group. That's why you need to surround yourself and in a sense be running and pursuing Christ along with others who are pursuing Him too. Too many followers of Christ are trying uh, uh, to, to follow after Christ, but they're, they're, they're pursuing things along with everybody else who's running in different directions. What's your plan? Who do you have in your life that you can be stirred up by and help stir on to godliness? And then, last of all, as Peter's really pointing us to, look to the clouds. We don't know the day or the hour, but it might be today. As you walk out these doors this morning into the parking lot, lift your eyes and look at the cloud. For soon, we will see the Son of Man riding on the clouds of heaven, coming in great glory. What difference would it make to our lives if every morning, if every day we were to step outside or look out the window and check the sky and say, Lord, is it today? Help me to live today in light of your coming. If you'd like some help taking some next steps, we would be delighted to talk with you more about these things. Or if you want to sign up for any of the things that Pastor Rich mentioned a little earlier that I've referenced, uh, you can do that through our website or learn more through our app or just here through this QR code. But Jesus is coming again. So live holy lives actively pursuing godliness. That is what we are called to do while we wait. Father, we thank you for the sure and certain promise of Christ's soon and coming return. Lord, we've talked about many things, and there's a great deal in this passage that we've moved through quickly this morning. But I pray that your word would take root in our hearts and minds. I pray that if there are any here who have never come to you in repentance and faith, that today indeed would be the day that they cry out to you. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I believe in you. And I want to follow you with all that I am and all that I have. Lord, may today be the day of salvation. Father, I pray for those of us who have been walking with you perhaps for many years, and if we're honest, have grown lazy or lethargic in waiting. Oh, Lord, would you prompt us with a fresh hunger and passion to diligently pursue godliness and holiness in our lives. Teach us the rhythms of your grace in the knowledge that it is not purely about our effort, but it is also not just about waiting for your Spirit to change us, but rather, in a way that is difficult for us to understand, we are to pursue and be diligent in growth, even as you are at work to grow us. And Lord, as we await that day, may we indeed be found faithful 
at your coming. Lord, teach us to live today in light of your return. And as we do so, may our lives so reflect your grace and your kindness, your love and your mercy, that the people all throughout this community, our workplaces, and even our homes, would be drawn to learn more about the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To you be praise, now and forevermore. Amen. Please stand as we continue worship. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could
for joining us this Sunday in our corporate worship and our corporate teaching. Again, as Pastor Tim said, if you have not received salvation, we encourage you to just talk to somebody before you leave. If you need to go deeper with your faith and you don't know what that next step is, please talk to somebody before you leave. Otherwise, go in peace and go in love to serve our awesome God. Amen.